0: To today's conversation in our After the Curve, The Changing Face of Healthcare podcast series. Today we're focusing on digital health. We're excited to bring you perspectives from McDermott's digital health partners on the future of telehealth and digital tools to speed care delivery and improve outcomes in the wake of COVID-19. We'll also discuss the vital role that data readiness will play in reshaping the healthcare system. I'm Leslie Tulio, Chief Marketing Officer for McDermott. Joining me today are partners Steve Bernstein and Lisa Mazur. Steve and Lisa, I feel like the three of us in particular have been talking about the advent of digital health and the cusp of digital health transformation for a long time now, but it feels really in the last few months like we really did hit that tipping point, um, due obviously in large part to COVID-19. and. Many of the regulatory changes in particular that have happened. Lisa, I'm wondering if you could kick us off and talk a little bit about what some of those most impactful changes have been.
1: Absolutely, Leslie. Well, as you know, there was a massive shift in the ways in which people received care. It was critical for people to be able to access care from their homes, and telehealth was identified as the primary vehicle for accomplishing that. We saw significant changes at the federal and the state levels to make reimbursement for telehealth much easier. For example, with Medicare, for the first time, we saw uh, Medicare beneficiaries being able to receive care in their home, regardless of whether they were in an urban or a rural area. Traditionally, patients, in order for a service to be covered by Medicare, had to be located within a rural area and within a hospital or a clinic. And now, due to COVID, there were significant changes to enable patients to receive care in the home. In addition to Medicare reimbursement changes, we also saw significant regulatory changes and reimbursement changes at the state levels as well. So Medicaid programs really followed the lead of Medicare to increase reimbursement opportunities for providers to encourage patients to receive care while at home as well. And then finally, we saw states take significant changes at the regulatory level to allow for providers to practice medicine and other types of healthcare services across state lines. So traditionally, a healthcare provider needs to be licensed in the state in which the patient is located at the time of the encounter. But every state adopted some type of emergency declaration or order that was intended to enable healthcare providers to more easily practice across state lines. So I would say those are the largest and most significant regulatory changes from a telehealth perspective.
2: And Lisa, Leslie, I'll add one other piece there. I think right as COVID was hitting, there were interoperability and API regulations that were issued with compliance dates. And then there was sort of a delay put in there. And I think the jury is still out about how providers are going to adopt those. But those become quite important as individuals, all of us consumers, begin to really take more charge of our own data libraries. And those regulations were designed to, number one, make providers or allow providers to be more communicative with each other as patients went from provider to provider, including your primary care doctor, pharmacy, hospital, and back again. You need to make sure your data is moving to avoid duplications of services. And then the API piece was really designed. And most people have probably seen this if they're part of an academic medical center or a big health system. There is a portal. That portal is designed to support patients accessing and effectively downloading into their phones their information so it travels with them. And I think some providers have put a pause on that implementation given COVID and everything else they're dealing with but the sooner that can happen it will effectively allow data to move more seamlessly and allow patients better access to their information and frankly providers too so they won't have to reinvent the wheel.
0: Lisa you you know obviously we started this conversation around telehealth and regulation. I think telehealth has been the most obvious and most visible winner, right, in digital health amidst covid, but Steve talk a little bit about what else we're seeing in the broader digital health landscape and perhaps what's still on the horizon.
2: Yes. From an infrastructure perspective, I think this is a really important change. I think clearly his pre-COVID, it was mostly a 90-10 split. You would get most of your care 90% of the time in person with maybe 10% calling the doctor and asking some question or talk to a nurse practitioner or a PA, a physician assistant. And I think we've seen the beginnings of a 180 degree pivot. And what I mean by that is switching to a different 90-10 split. And the 90-10 split that I can see us going towards is 10% of your visits would be in person and 90% ultimately would be through a remote technology or some other kind of monitoring service. I think we're a long way off for that. And I think after COVID, people are gonna be craving human contact in some ways. But I do think we're gonna start to see a pivot. And Lisa and I and the McDermott Digital Health Team have really begun to see that. We've seen younger companies who are already thinking along those lines pre-COVID, but really have been emboldened by COVID. And then we've seen traditional primary care and other providers beginning, certainly they did wrestle with telehealth, but beginning to think about, well, how do I really change the paradigm going forward? And how can I stick with this 90-10 reverse split, if you will? And I think that means they're gonna to need to be some restructurings internally about how you monitor patients who are 90% of the time remote and what's your office setup look like. A lot of really important logistical things to get ready for this next switch, if you will. That's just a prediction, but that's my sense. And I think we've been seeing just the beginnings of that, but it's basically a rewiring and reconfiguration of the system given a comfort that people feel in, in being remote. Obviously, there's certain things that cannot be done remotely, although even that's changing. And I think we're seeing technologies with remote stethoscopes, remote examination tools, certainly the use of video, remote monitoring, pads in your home to figure out if you're walking around at what pace, certainly fitness trackers. That's obviously old school at this point. So those are the kinds of things I think we're going to see In this next iteration. But Lisa will probably have some additional thoughts on that.
1: I completely agree, Steve, with everything you said. I think it's, you know, healthcare is now going to be largely virtual. And the data that we've seen, the early data from, you know, the start of COVID 19 till now, shows that patients like telehealth, they like receiving their care virtually. They like remote patient monitoring programs. We've had 10 million Medicare beneficiaries receive care virtually. That went from 0.1% prior to COVID-19 to almost 45% right now. So those changes are dramatic. And we've seen Medicare Advantage plans posting surveys that are showing 90-plus percent satisfaction rates with virtual care visits, remote patient monitoring, and telehealth. We're also seeing payers really stepping up, like we earlier discussed, to reimburse for it. So I think the ship is sailed, telehealth is here, as CMS has stated itself, it would be an error to kind of change course. So I think one of the most impactful and long-term changes we'll see is that patients will continue to receive care from wherever they are in the world, whether that's home or work or in other places. We're also going to see providers increasingly feel comfort in leveraging these tools to provide care to their patients. And as you said, Steve, earlier, that's going to create really interesting dynamics too in data sharing and interoperability and the ability for providers to access images and records from across different providers and different institutions and the need for there to be enhanced interoperability. And also leveraging really interesting tools like artificial intelligence to you know, better diagnose patients and to do so faster and to provide that care on an ongoing basis rather than an episodic one.
0: Lisa, it's an interesting um, pickup point there. We've talked a good bit already about the consumer experience as it relates to telehealth and how consumers are adapting and, and responding to the shift to telemedicine. But in our After the Curve report, you both touch on how building fluid pathways for health information, so think a little bit more back office perhaps, can reduce duplicative testing, enable enhanced data analytics, enhance treatment, support population health, et cetera. Let's talk a little bit about how this is working currently and what the impact that data exchange pathway could have on the next wave of COVID-19 or even on future pandemics.
2: So, Leslie, I'll jump into that. And let me put the listener into sort of the following picture Imagine you are now having a virtual telehealth visit with your provider. You can be on some video technology and the like. And the provider now has to figure out how do they get that record of that visit? I'll say it's a visit because it is into their medical record, your medical record, and how they do that fluidly and seamlessly. Well, one is they could, and we've seen this happen on technologies, you could just record it. But that's not really productive. Like You're going to have all these video visits in your record. It'll take up so much space, and it's not really useful because the doctor's not going to listen to the whole thing, and there's worried about malpractice. But that's one thing you could do. The other thing you could do, which has already been going on in general pre-COVID, is you could scribe it. And when I say scribe it, I mean there is somebody else in the room, virtual room or real, who is in the background. Patients are aware of it. And they're basically note takers. They're taking the note that goes in the clinical record. That's not a new technology, but I think when you move to remote, that's something to think about. A third option is the physician after the visit could do what they normally do. They could dictate it. They could just dictate it to a transcription service that puts it right into the record. Doctor checks for typos and signs off on the record. Or fourth, and there's probably others, You could have the use of artificial intelligence listening in on the visit and taking conversations between the doctor and the patient, but using artificial intelligence to migrate that into an appropriate clinical record. It's not a recording. It's an interpretive algorithm that would bring that into the system. And there already are systems beginning to do that pre-COVID that were being wired for sound. So just that base, that's basic. Like how do you get the information into the system? Now let's get fancy and move to kind of intermediate land. So now you have a consumer in the middle of the care and consumers obviously have information going on throughout their day. They're going to the market, they're getting groceries delivered. They have fitness trackers, all of these other tools that do have an impact on one's health and being able to monitor that. How do those disparate systems get pulled into an integrated record to help the clinician and the patient keep track of what's going on in their lives. There are technologies that have emerged from that where there's remote monitoring, there's fitness trackers, but the systems have to be done so that there's real interoperability. And we had mentioned that earlier, interoperability among disparate systems that traditionally were not in the healthcare system or part of the healthcare system, the API pieces and and moving that so that both the patient and the doctor can access that. And then finally, let's get to superior technologies, which I think are not in the mainstream yet. But you can imagine having, and there are people who have this, believe it or not, your medical record embedded in a chip that's in your arm. And there are people who have that, believe it or not. But that is a way where you're carrying your record with you all the time. But you need technologies to make sure it's constantly updated all the time. And so that can kind of continuum as I think where we're going. I think COVID has actually helped accelerate the thinking about that and the implementation. And I think time will tell, but having a longitudinal record that tracks you as a patient and making that available to providers when you, the consumer, want them to have it, and maybe sometimes when you don't, or they have it, or you've given them global permissions to get it, that's where this world is going. And I think. I think it's not going to be too long before that is well integrated. And all of that will help you help the system eliminate duplication of testing, because how many times do you need to get your blood test every time you go to a different provider? It should be seamless and across the system so that we can eliminate duplication, reduce cost, make it easier on the patient, and I think ultimately improve care.
0: Steve, you said something that stuck with me there, this idea that that's where the world is going. It's a very different direction for traditional healthcare providers. We're seeing lots of other people, though, coming into this space and making some really big bets, including you know, multi-billion dollars MA. What are some of the most meaningful collaborations you are seeing right now in the digital health space, and what do we see coming in the future?
1: Leslie, I can start with a few overview of the, the bigger transactions, some of the Transactions that have gained a lot of attention lately. And then perhaps, Steve, you can go into the collaborations for us. But the bigger transactions, we've seen the Teladoc and Livongo merger. That's an $18.5 billion merger, which is the largest of its size and incredibly exciting because you have a very successful publicly traded telehealth company with thousands of physicians within its network providing primary care, urgent care, behavioral health, and other types of services within health institutions, but also with a direct-to-consumer offering and employer offering, partnering with Livongo, which has been well-known for many years for its incredibly impressive remote patient monitoring-type offering that targets diabetes. So, this merger which has all kinds of really cute and interesting pet names coming out of the merger of the two companies, but we're seeing it, it's really shaken up the market and it's incredibly exciting to see that digital health is moving into you know, a world where you have a telehealth company and an RPM company really uniting forces. We've also seen American Well confidentially make filings to indicate that it is going to proceed with going public. And recently we also saw SOC Telemed going public through what's called the blank Check Acquisition. The number of transactions has just gone up significantly. The size of the deals also, you know, widely varies, but these types of transactions are a dollar amount of a value that we have never seen before. And we agree with the industry that we're going to continue to see more mergers and acquisitions within the digital health and even specifically, more specifically, the telehealth and remote patient monitoring spaces.
2: And and I'll jump in on the I would say not necessarily big ticket M and A but certainly collaborations that are going on designed to build new technologies and I think we're seeing the collaborative spirit continue and we McDermott we've been talking about this for a long time in terms of collaborative transformations but one of the things we're starting to see and continue is multiple companies coming together to deliver a new service or invent a new service that had never been developed before. And because healthcare is so complicated, there's really no one party who can handle it all. So some examples of that, particularly in the behavioral health space, and I think for people know that behavioral health is a hot area because the patients needing that service utilize a big chunk of the healthcare dollar. So if that can be done on a more efficient basis, it can wring cost out of the system. So we've seen situations where virtual reality companies or a virtual reality company is getting together with a pharmaceutical company to build a digital therapeutic, for example, dealing with pain management. We've seen other examples of using digital technologies to diagnose Parkinson's based on how what keyboard strokes are being used on your phone. We've seen a lot of innovation occurring. And I think it's usually the case that these often come from young companies or middle market companies, but they need capital. And at the same time, pharmaceutical companies and biotech companies and device companies are looking for new product pipeline, new drugs, new devices. And so the environment is ripe to have innovation matched with traditional pharma who know how to get products and device companies who know how to get products through the FDA and to market, if the FDA, if these are even regulated. And that's another aspect of this. It's not always clear that these items are a medical device. In fact, many times they are not. And then the other question is, well, what's the reimbursement model? Is it going to be a Medicare reimbursed service or is it gonna be direct to consumer or cash or credit card is used? And those are really beginning to take to the fore, these kinds of collaborations between, I would say, tech and pharma coming together to create new products and services and maneuvering this in a way that gets consumers and providers what they need in shorter order.
0: Well, certainly, I think, Steve, you've given us a lot to think about on that front. I mean, there's just so many different pieces of the puzzle that are still really largely in motion. But, Lisa, can you maybe give us a quick closing thought on this topic? Way for us to sort of summarize the thinking.
1: I think a lot of digital health organizations have moved incredibly quickly out of necessity uh, to get patients the, the care that they needed during this incredibly difficult time. But as a lawyer, we're very much focused on compliance, legal compliance, and some of the band aid solutions that were put into place which again, we're done so out of necessity, need to come off and permanent solutions need to be put into place. And so working with, you know, legal and compliance to come up with what solutions make the most sense for that company so that these programs can continue in the longer term, which as Steve and I discussed, is our expectation. And I think the industry agrees with us that these programs will continue on into the future requires a bit of investment into coming up with the appropriate legal and regulatory infrastructure.
2: And I would add, clearly, I think COVID has broken through a key cultural barrier that that really, that you don't necessarily need in-person care all the time. And there are things that can migrate to allow remote care. But that said, I do think there is still a long way to go, but you had to break through that barrier first. But now we have to really focus and roll up our sleeves and get into the details about how data is ingested, where it's coming from how it is maneuvered and manipulated in a good way and moving it in a place where it can be used to actually deliver care in a more efficient basis. We have a lot of steps to go through, some with a regulatory overlay, some with some cultural changes, um, and and certainly capital is gonna be required to do that. And I think based on Lisa's great summary of what kind of deals we're seeing, That is starting to happen where it's not just vaporware. This is real. I think investors see it and they want to know how it's going to work. And I think consumers want to know how it's going to work. And we're going to see companies deliver on their promises in hopefully most cases.
0: So it sounds like in large part, we are certainly accelerating adoption and embracing this industry, but still lots more for us to talk about in the months and years ahead. Well, thank you both so much for joining us and sharing your thoughts, and thanks to our listeners for joining us as well. For more insight and analysis about the state of healthcare after the curve, check out McDermott's Healthcare and Life Sciences news blog at healthcarelifesciencesnews.com.
2: This material is for general information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice or any other advice on any specific facts or circumstances. No one should act or refrain from acting based upon any information herein without seeking professional legal advice. McDermott, Will & Emery makes no warranties, representations, or claims of any kind concerning the content herein. McDermott, Will & Emery and the contributing presenters or authors expressly disclaim all liability to any person in respect of the consequences of anything done or not done in reliance upon the use of contents included herein. Copyright 2020, McDermott, Will & Emery. All rights reserved. Any use of these materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication without the prior written consent of McDermott, Will & Emery is strictly prohibited. This may be considered attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.